Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment and let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. Today, our pastor of children's ministry, Spencer Young, is continuing our new series, Healed by Jesus. And again, for this year's Lent project called Moving Hope, we're partnering with Moviendo Esperanza, an organization that works on the ground in Costa Rica. And Costa Rica is a developing country where over 700,000 people live with a physical disability but have no access to state funding or support. So more than 50% of those with disabilities in Costa Rica, also they live in poverty and have little hope of improving their situation. So the goal of our project, called Moving Hope, is to partner with Moviendo Esperanza and offer mobility and access to those who desperately need it. For more information on how to get involved, you can visit our website for the different ways to give. And if you want to find out more about Moviendo Esperanza, you can come to our share night on March 22nd on site here at the church. And we had a short-term missions team that just returned from Costa Rica working with Moviendo. And they'll be sharing that night about their experience and how God was moving in and through them as a team. So we hope you'll take that in. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the new group, Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with the prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and or Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Glad that we can be here today. If we haven't met before, my name's Spencer. I'm on staff here. Glad that I get to be teaching and sharing today. Also glad that we have our grade school students in here as well. I'm glad that I get to be a part of that. And particularly, I'm glad that we got to do child dedications today, too, for, for two reasons. Number one, I, just, I love that we do our child dedications here in service. I think that's been our rhythm here for a long time. That isn't the case everywhere, and I'm really glad that we take part in that together as a church family. And selfishly, I'm glad that it happened today because we've started to develop a little theme the last couple weeks in this series where uh, those that we're teaching showed pictures of really cute kids on, on the screen Craig last week had his daughter when she was young on screen. The week before, Rick had his granddaughter on screen. And I don't have any kids, and I don't have any grandkids. So I was a little unsure what I was going to do. But this was way better than that, I think. And so thank you. Glad that we could be able to do that this weekend, and selfishly glad about that, too. We're continuing in our series, Healed by Jesus. This is week four of that. And it's been really cool as we've been able to go through all of these uh, different stories of healing. And we've been able to see how in the midst of these healing stories, there's something bigger that's going on as well. And so I'm excited to get into that. Uh, Parents, just one note as well, so I don't forget. uh, If you want, 
It's out in the, uh, in the hall there, in Cardo Hall at the check-in desk. There's a little handout that your kids can work through. It has some stuff that ties in with our teaching, and it has a little handout, too, that talks about communion. We'll be taking part in communion at the end of service. And so if you wanted to read through and if you want your child to take part, it kind of unpacks a little bit of that as well. Uh, just so you know, that's available there for you if you would like. I've really loved how we've been going, as we've been going through this series, as I said, we've been seeing how there's something bigger that's going on, not to diminish the healings themselves, but there's something, there's something going on with the narrative. We've been able to see how these miracles are part of the greater work that Jesus was doing to restore and heal our entire, our entire world, pardon me. And while he does this, he's teaching us things about what it looks like for us as his followers to live in the kingdom of God as citizens of that kingdom. And today, as we're looking in our passage, we're looking at how Jesus has authority to forgive, to heal, and really to change the narrative of our lives. And so I'd like to invite a few of our students up here right now. We're going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And I, I just, I knew I needed a little help up here today, so I wanted them to be able to come up and do that. So if you want, you can turn in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And friends, this is the Word of God. Is this on? It's on. It's on. You're okay. on. <laughs> Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came into his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven? or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Awesome. Nailed it. Right on. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. So through the last few weeks as we've been going through these stories, Jesus has really been centered around the Sea of Galilee. And I like maps. I think it's, just help, it's helpful to center ourselves. So I wanted us to see a little map here just to picture ourselves, kind of put us in, that in the space there. So the big star there, the north part of the Sea of Galilee is where our story takes place Today And in fact, that's also where the story was a couple weeks ago when Jesus healed the centurion's servant. Now, you can't see Jerusalem on there, but Jerusalem is south about 150 kilometers. Now, uh, kids, if we don't, if we can't measure that in our minds, if you've been to Red Deer, it's about how far away Red Deer is, give or take a little bit. So quite a ways away. Uh, and so we're up in kind of the, the, the northern reaches of Israel in this story here. And I wanted us to see another picture as well. Again, just to kind of situate ourselves and have context. This is a picture near the site of Capernaum. Obviously, it's a modern day picture. Uh, I don't know exactly where, but right, right around that area there. And I don't know, when I saw that picture, I was feeling a little jealous because then I looked outside and I saw the snow and I was a little sad. And I know spring is literally right around the corner, but I wouldn't mind being there right now. Anyway, I'll stop. I can't look at that anymore. We need to carry on. But this gives us a bit of a, a picture of where we're at when we're at, uh, just to help 
help us as we're, as we're, as we're hearing the stories, we're thinking about the story uh, and seeing what Jesus is up to. In this story, as we said, there's physical healing, but there's four other ways that we can see Jesus' healing work uh, going on, ways that he is healing, that he's calling us to healing, that people can experience healing in their lives. That was real loud there. The first one, Jesus heals our identity. In this first century Jewish world, the Pharisees, we've heard of them. They were a popular group in the eyes of many people. And they really, they had good intentions. They were trying to fight the corruption of the temple authorities. And so in their quest for purity, they, they had a lot of laws and rules that they wanted the people to follow. And one of those was based on an assumption that if someone has experienced prolonged sickness or disability, it must have, according to them, been the result of some sort of sickness or, uh, pardon me, sin in their lives. And so they had rules prohibiting dining with sinners, and these rules would have extended to those experiencing that sickness or illness or disability. Now, there's nothing in this story that indicates that the man's sin had caused his paralysis. And really, we know that Jesus challenges this idea. If we wanted to look in John chapter 9, we can see him calling that idea out directly. Yet, we do know that this man's physical condition would have resulted in some sort of spiritual and social isolation. He wears the label of outsider to many. And yet, in the midst of that, he and those that were with him had faith that Jesus could change that narrative. And so they brought this man before him. And I have a question for us. How many of us wear labels in our lives. How many of us are literally wearing a label right now? I hope everyone, don't have to put up your hand, but I hope you're all wearing the labels, the name tags that we have to help us know one another here. But I'm not actually talking about that, you know that. I'm not talking about literal labels, but I'm talking about those identity markers that we wear. Some of these labels we might be okay with, we might be fine with it, it might be our vocation, Kids, it might be something that we're good at at school that we're known for. But there's a lot of other labels that are forced on us as well, aren't there? We've never chosen them. We do anything to get rid of them, really. But we have no choice but to wear them. Everyone knows us by them. Kids, we also know that happens at school, right? We're labeled all the time at school, and really, we know we're labeled all the time in our lives. For me, growing up in school, I, we moved quite a bit as a family, and so I often wore the label of new kid. Now, sometimes that, that can be kind of fun. People are like, ooh, the new kid, and they all want to get to know the new kid. There was one time when I was in grade six, and being the new kid meant that I was the object of interest of not one, but two female classmates who wanted me to ask them to the school dance, and I stayed home because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so maybe it was actually not a good thing for me in that moment. But there are those times where, okay, there's something interesting with wearing the label of new kid. But there are a lot of times, honestly, if you've been there, you know, it meant that I wore that label of outsider. I didn't know any of the people. I didn't know what was going on. I, I just, I was there trying to find my way and People were busy. 
I won't even put it on them. They were trying to be mean, maybe not necessarily. They just were busy, and I was kind of just lost for a little while. When you wear a label, whether it's like that or whether it's something else that you have in your mind, don't you just wish that people would be able to take a moment and see you, period, to see you, and even more so see you for who you really are, not the label that you're wearing, to be able to look beyond that label and, and see who God has created you to be? In this gospel story, Jesus sees the faith of these people, not just the person who was paralyzed, but those that, was with, that were with him as well. They too see beyond the label of paralyzed that the man wears, and their faith propels them to action. Now, maybe to them he was a brother, maybe a spouse, maybe a father, maybe a mentor or a friend. Maybe they actually didn't know him at all, but somehow their sense of compassion was ignited. They saw the humanity in this person. Jesus, too, sees beyond our labels. He wants to heal our identity. He wants us to see ourselves as one created in the image of our Heavenly Father. He wants us to join God's family. And so he wants to heal the labels that we wear. And secondly, Jesus heals our sin. In the second part of verse 2, it says, When he saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And a big picture, a big question rather, that you might have been thinking when we read this passage before and now is why does Jesus forgive the man's sin rather than healing his body right off the bat? Well, this is a clue to us, reminding us that in these healing accounts, there's something more, something bigger that is probably going on. Not ignoring, but going beyond that physical healing account. Jesus is up to something unique here, isn't he? But there's another thing that we can see as well, and this comes from an understanding of what healing meant in that time. In the Greco-Roman world, there was a more holistic view of sickness and health rather than in our Western culture. We sometimes have that, but not quite as much. It's a little different for us. We more think of disease and we think of a cure more in the physical, in the physical sense. I have a headache, I'm going to take Tylenol. I have body aches, I need to go to physio, that kind of thing. But they understood the symptoms of illness, not only as being physical, but also being social, also being spiritual. And to a certain degree, we see that as well, but not in the same way that they had back then. And so they would have seen healing acts, not only alleviating physical symptoms, but also spiritual and social symptoms that might have been present too. One author that I read as I was prepping suggested that in these initial moments in our story, the man might have been disappointed that Jesus only forgave his sin. And maybe that's true, we don't know, I suppose. But I don't think that could be further from the truth. I really think he would have seen healing power in Jesus' words because of their understanding of sickness and health at that time. Let's read that second half of verse 2 again here. When he saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Remember, in this context, his paralysis would have not been the only label that would have been worn, but also the label of sinner, based on the implications that some thought. Some would have thought that his sickness meant that there was sin, or rather his disability meant that there was sin. 
And so Jesus saying your sins are forgiven didn't just simply mean he would go to heaven when he died. It had very real and immediate implications for him. It told him that he was restored to the community that he'd been separated from, that he could be included in fellowship that he was previously excluded from. Jesus knew that forgiveness of sin was part of the holistic healing that this person needed. How many of us have experienced forgiveness from another? I hope everyone could say yes. Kids, have you ever done something that you felt really bad about? Maybe you didn't feel bad at first because you did it, but then suddenly you're like, oh, you realized, you realized what you'd done. Or maybe you did something that you knew was wrong, but then this happened and you're like, oh man, did this cause that? And you feel so guilty and so shameful. Adults, I know that we probably had many more of these times as well where we've hurt someone in our lives, whether it was intentional or not, or we've done something that we knew we shouldn't have and then this happened and we're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. We just feel so much guilt because this happened, even though we actually don't know that that was caused by this. You see where I'm going with this? This man we know would have sinned. Everyone sins. But he thought, I'm sure, or at least he questioned and wondered, has my sin caused my disability? We know Jesus says no, and we know that in the midst of Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, that the guilt and shame that this man would have felt was removed. He knew he was still disabled. He still couldn't walk in that moment, but he no longer had the burden or guilt of that, of that sin because he'd been forgiven by Jesus. Can we all think of those moments when we have done something wrong and we say to someone, I'm sorry, and they respond with, I forgive you? Sometimes, again, it just happens in a quick moment and okay, you know, that's good. But sometimes when we feel the weight of that and we're given forgiveness, we just know how powerful that can be, don't we? This would have been a powerful moment like that when forgiveness was extended. And it's one that catches the attention of the nearby scribes. And that gets us to our third point. Jesus wants to heal our evil thoughts. Again, verse 3 says this, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. It's interesting that really this is actually the first recorded instance in Matthew of there being opposition to Jesus by the teachers of the law, many of whom would have been Pharisees. Not exclusively, but many of them would have been Pharisees as well. Now, they probably had heard of what Jesus was doing already, some healing, some teachings. They might have found what he was doing intriguing. They might have found it concerning. But his proclaiming forgiveness of sin, that's different. That contradicted everything they thought they knew about how God forgave sin and really how God interacted with them as a people. Practically speaking, forgiveness of sin to them needed some sort of atonement made through sacrifice. We know that to be true, but they didn't see that atonement happening there. But even more so, for Jesus to speak on God's behalf there was downright offensive to these religious teachers. Indeed, it says blasphemous. When verse 4 says 
Jesus knew their thoughts, though. Let's not take from this that Jesus was a mind reader. That's not the way it was. Rather, it means that Jesus understood or perceived their heart posture there. This was more than the scribes not understanding who Jesus was. Because Jesus doesn't just recognize ignorance here, but he recognizes evil in their hearts. Because of their status as ones highly trained in understanding and interpreting the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Jesus was also a threat to their sense of power. See, they'd confuse God's kingdom vision with their own vision of what the kingdom should look like. They thought they knew what was right and wrong, who was in and out, and Jesus was messing all of that up right here. When we've talked about these healing stories, we've talked about how these often can be examples of outsiders being invited to the inside, but we can't forget in those moments that when outsiders are being invited in, when the rules seemingly are being changed, or some rules that weren't being focused on are being highlighted, no, 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 not all these people need to be excluded. We're inviting more people in than what was once recognized. When you're already on the inside and suddenly more people are allowed in, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people sometimes. That didn't sit well with these teachers of the law here. Their evil, the evil in their heart, doesn't come just because they thought Jesus' teaching was wrong. It was because they were threatened in their sense of status and power, their sense of security. Now, at this point, maybe it's already happened. You might be ready to label the scribes, these teachers of the law, as the enemy. We assume ourselves to be on Team Jesus in this story. We bring out our flag, and we start off our best rendition of, I don't want to be a Pharisee, I just want to be a sheep. Ba, 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 ba. How many of us know that song? Yeah, yeah. But let's not do that. Let's hold up for a moment. First, not all the Pharisees were bad. We can think of Nicodemus in the Gospels. We can think of Gamaliel in Acts. We can think of even Paul, who continues to identify himself as a Pharisee, even after his Damascus encounter with Jesus. There was evil in the hearts of these teachers here. Let's think of these teachers particularly. But we know that Jesus wants to heal them as well. He wants to heal their hearts as well even though it might not happen in this particular story here. And besides, even though we might not want to be a Pharisee, we sure do act like these scribes sometimes, don't we? Even if we don't really recognize it. Even in this moment right now, we might have started labeling people and drawing dividing lines and that kind of thing, because we all have in our hearts this desire to fight for worldly power, power that tries to keep us safe, tries to keep us in control on our own terms rather than on God's terms. Kids, we might start telling mean jokes about other kids at school. Or maybe we don't do that, but we kind of join in. Or maybe we don't really do that. We just stay silent and kind of move to the background when it happens. But any of those postures, really, it's a bit of a power move because we're trying to keep ourselves safe in this. We don't want to stand out in that moment, right? I've been there too. I've been there too. I can think of one example right now that doesn't need to, but I just like gripped. I'm like, oh man, this is wrong, but I don't want to do anything because I don't want to be the victim again in this moment too, right? We've been there. Or even just thinking more broadly, many of us have probably done this as well when we start throwing shade on people in social media. We start mocking them around the water cooler. When we start dividing into camps so that we know who's in, who's out, 
in those moments, it's a move for power and control. And it's rooted in this desire at self-sufficiency. And this desire for self-sufficiency often will turn to either pride or to some sort of insecurity. In these moments, we lose sight of the fact that we're to find our safety, our security, our identity in Jesus. We're to follow his vision of the kingdom of God, not our own. I said already, we don't see Jesus healing the hearts, the evil in the hearts of these scribes in this story because he won't force healing on people that don't want it. But I want us to know, friends, that Jesus does want to heal the evil in our hearts today even, if there's things that might be coming to mind. And really, this points us to our fourth point as we continue forward in this story. Jesus is healing the world. And in the midst of all of this going on, there's evil thoughts in the scribes' hearts. There's this man that's been healed of sin and yet still is paralyzed. There's grumblings of blasphemy going on. There's people watching what's going to happen next. In the midst of this, Jesus makes a statement that wouldn't have been lost on those presents, even though we don't pick it up necessarily right off the bat, as he refers himself to himself as the son of man in verse 6. Now, the Jews would have known their scriptures well, and they knew that their scriptures promised a new age where salvation would come to the nations through Israel. They knew that there was a promised Messiah that would be in the line of David. And kids, if you're still with me here, we know that we learned about that last week in our grade school session there. But for some Jewish groups, they also took the idea of the Messiah and they merged it with this figure, uh, the divine son of man that's portrayed in Daniel 7. And let's read Daniel 7 here together, verses 13 to 14. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus refers to himself as the son of man here, Daniel 7 would have come to mind for many of those present. And this whole healing account really leads up to this moment where Jesus makes a statement that he was fulfilling all the prophetic hopes and expectations of the Jewish people. He was beginning to reveal himself as God incarnate, bringing healing not just to Israel, but to the whole world. And in the midst of that profound statement, to show his authority in a tangible way, Jesus heals the man of his paralysis. Now, Matthew records multiple instances where Jesus applies this phrase, son of man, to himself. In fact, even last week, there was a phrase, son of man, that Jesus used to apply to himself. But if we look at all of those instances together through Matthew, what Jesus says about the son of man is not always what people would have been expecting. Yes, Jesus here says the Son of Man has been given power to forgive sin and heal the sick. But in other places, he also says that the Son of Man is to experience weakness and mistreatment and suffering. 
We know the Son of Man will rule the kingdom of God, but we also know he'll be persecuted and crucified. Here we see the seeds of both his coming crucifixion and resurrection here. As the evils of human power react to the goodness of godly power. In the story of healing, Jesus shows that his authority carries power of heavenly proportions. He offers to heal our identity, to heal the evil in our hearts, and to bring healing and wholeness through forgiveness of sin. He calls us to be uh, kingdom of God ambassadors to those our society puts on the outside, to look past the labels that they wear, and to become an embodied presence in their lives. He calls us to surrender our desire for power and to take on a position of weakness as Christ did. And he calls us to extend forgiveness to others because we ourselves have been forgiven of so, so much, haven't we? He calls us to model a life of faith so that others might come to believe and join the family of God's kingdom like you and I. And now as we come to the communion table, I ask us to think, where do we find ourselves today in this story? Who do we identify with most? Are we like the paralyzed man, perhaps feeling separated, isolated, and in need of God's healing touch? Are we like those that brought the man forward, acting in active faith? Or are we the reverse? Are we actually struggling to have faith right now, maybe? Are we like the scribes? Confusing God's vision of the kingdom with our own? Are we like the crowds in awe of Christ's power on display? Are we considering right now if Jesus is one worth following? I'll pause just for a few seconds here, just to allow the Spirit to speak to us and see for us to ask if the Spirit is prompting us in some way. wherever we might be at today. Jesus calls those who follow him to the table to take part in a small physical meal that fills us up spiritually. Because in this meal, we experience the presence of Jesus in a special way through the power of the Spirit. We remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and we have hope through his resurrection. We remember that this bread represents his body which has been broken for us. And we remember that the, the cup represents his blood, which has been shed for us. And I can hear already right now, you can get your communion cup out and first let's peel back that top layer and grab the wafer that's there. And just hold on to it for a moment. Friends, eat and remember that the body of Christ was broken for you. Now you can peel back that second layer so you have access to the cup and we'll just wait a moment. Church family, let's drink and remember that the blood of Christ was shed for you and I.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and goodness in our lives. We thank you for the ways that you're restoring our identity, healing us from sin and bringing hope into the dark places of our lives. And yet we all know that sin continues to pull us towards unhealthy moves of being self-sufficient, to trying to follow what we think is right rather than following what you call us to. Help us to seek your strength in our weaknesses and your power in our imperfection. Heal us, King Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Now, one last announcement before I give our benediction. We do have the newcomer's lunch tomorrow. Uh, if you haven't registered yet, uh, that's okay. Uh, it's no cost, but just we want people to register ahead of time just so we have some numbers and can get, uh, make sure we have enough food on the table for us. Now, as you go, remember the authority that Jesus has to forgive, to heal, and to change the narrative of our lives. Remember to be emboldened as well, to share the good news in all that you say and you do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Go in peace.